0: Greetings fellow travelers, vagrants, explorers, wildlanders, and welcome to episode 25 of the Retro Wildlands. My name is Nomad and this is my gaming podcast where I like to share my thoughts and experiences with a video game that I've discovered or rediscovered while roaming the gaming wildlands. Thank you very much for tuning in to the show today, I really appreciate you taking time to join up with the expedition today. If I sound a little congested, it's because I am a little congested, so my apologies if I sound a little off today. Tons of people at my full-time adult job are getting sick, and I'm sure I picked up something from there. But we're not going to dwell on that too much, for today marks the 25th episode of the Retro Wildlands, and I don't know about you, but I feel like that's worth celebrating. If this is your 25th time tuning into the show, or it's your very first, a huge thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking a chance on this little project of mine. Our canine expedition leaders, Dee, Dee and Dexter, will be over momentarily to give you all your just-due reward. Their permission to administer a 5-10 to ten second belly rub. I know, I know, it's a lot, but I wanted to make sure you all got nothing but the best, dear listeners. We spared no expense. Depending on how much we grow, I would like to do something for episode 50, in all honesty. Perhaps some belly rubs and a giveaway or something. If you don't like petting puppies, I don't know what to tell you, though. We had a cat once, and let me just say, House Nomad is no longer a cat house. We admire other people's cats, but we have no plans to bring any on the expedition with us for the foreseeable future. On today's episode, we're going to stick with a game from the Nintendo Entertainment System for one more week. After playing Batman for last week's episode, I wanted to stick with the system for one more game before heading off to something else. There were a couple games that have been on my mind over the last few weeks, and I just needed to decide what I wanted to do for this week's episode. Since I had a hard time deciding what I wanted to commit to, I threw up a poll on one of the Facebook groups that I'm a part of that focus on retro games. I didn't specifically say it was for the show, but I asked everyone which game of the ones I was thinking about I should play next. And the winner was, of course, Castlevania 3 for the Nintendo. I was already playing this game anyway, but it made me feel good that there's a lot of love for this game. Other than the original Castlevania, which I covered on episode 5 of the show, I have zero Castlevania titles under my belt, and I don't really have a feel for what Castlevania games are most popular. I know, that sounds just absolutely terrible, but that's the reason we're out here roaming the wildlands, my friends. It is long past time for me to discover some of these classics. I had heard that Castlevania 2, while unique, wasn't a great game. It had some interesting ideas, but ultimately it was like Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. It just went a little too far off the path we knew. But Castlevania 3 brought the series back to its roots and improved upon them tenfold. When I first started playing number three, I went in completely blind. At first, I wasn't overly impressed. I mean, sure, it played like the original, and I loved the original, but what was so special about it? Then, it all hit me like a ton of bricks. First, I came across branching pathways. I could choose what stages I played through. Then I came across companions that I could take with me on my journey and play as them. This blew my mind, as each companion you come across completely changes your gameplay experience. Then, there were multiple endings. What? Increased replay value? Fuck yes, this game is shaping up to be something really awesome. Then the reality of the situation set in when I realized this game was hard as balls. But with everything new brought to the table and the fun that I was having, I was determined to see this game through to the end. So is Castlevania 3 as good as everyone says it is? How was my experience with the game? Well, settle in by the campfire, my friends. When you're done petting the dogs, grab yourself a drink and kick your feet up. I had a pretty interesting adventure with this game and I can't wait to tell you about it. Now, before we get into the show itself, I like to take a few minutes to chat a little bit and give you all a peek behind the scenes here in the Retro Wildlands. I use this time to talk about what games that I've been playing, what's potentially coming up on future episodes of the podcast how the show itself is doing, what i'm working on, read any comments we received for this episode that we got on our social media pages and whatever else i feel like rambling about. I figure since you joined up with our Wildlands expedition, you should be privy to what's happening around here and where we're thinking of heading. However, if none of this sounds interesting to you and you just want to get to my Castlevania 3 thoughts, no worries at all my friend. You can skip ahead about 5 to 7ish minutes until you hear some of that sweet sweet Castlevania 3 music. There's also timestamps in the show description, so head on over there if you want to know exactly where you need to go. So 2023 has finally settled itself in, and I'm still feeling pretty good about the new year. The weather here in Ohio doesn't seem to know what the hell it wants to do, but here in the retro wildlands, we are locked in. My two main goals for the podcast this year are pretty basic. I want to continue with making quality episodes of the show, but I also want to try to get the show out to more people. Right now, the Retro Wildlands is more of a hobby for me than it is anything else, so I'm not looking to sink money into advertising or pay someone to market the show. But I do have a lot of little ideas to get our name out there a little bit more. I'm trying to be more active on the internet and network with people, and that's been pretty fun. More than anything, I've enjoyed meeting and talking to people about their love for video games and getting new perspectives on the things that I like. And if those people happen to give the show a chance, all the better. I was also fortunate enough to be asked to appear as a guest on a couple upcoming podcasts, too. One should be dropping pretty soon, and another is a little ways out, but I'll be sharing the details once everything is published and final. So if you want to check me out and check out some other great gaming content, Check out our social media, where I'll definitely be posting all about it. So for the scoop on those projects and other things, you're welcome to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. All you have to do is search at Retro Wildlands, and you should find us out there in the void. If you follow the show, I will do my best to follow you back. You can check out the gaming photos that I post, along with the occasional puppy photo, and I'll check out all the cool things that you post, like your food, that one project you're working on, or even the funny internet memes you share. It'll be awesome, and we can be best friends. And going back to what I was saying earlier about trying to expose the show to more people, it would be pretty cool if I could ask your help with that. If you like the show and what it is I'm doing here, I'd appreciate it if you could follow us on your podcasting platform of choice and leave us a good review. If your podcasting platform doesn't do reviews, you can leave one on our Facebook page. Good reviews will help us circulate around more and will hopefully get a little more attention. Now, I want to make it clear that I want to earn your good review. If you think the show sucked or think there's something I can do better, reach out to me directly on social media and tell me what you think. I am all about constructive feedback. This expedition includes not just me and my dogs, but you too, my friend. But there is no obligation for any of this. Honestly, the fact that you're listening to the show right now is more than I could possibly ask for, so I appreciate you just being here. As far as games I've been playing, I'm still chipping away at the new Crisis Core Final Fantasy 7 Reunion game on the PS4. I've actually been playing it more on my PlayStation Vita using remote play than anything else. I'm still digging this game, but I'm pretty eager to finish it. It's one of those games I've already spent too much time with already, and while I'm having an absolute blast with it, I want to get it off my plate and get the next bigger stake on it. I've also been playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the Nintendo. I used to play this game a ton when I was a kid and forgot how much I actually loved it. But then I got to that water level with the electrified seaweed and realized how hard this game actually was. And while I can beat that section, I never made it much further past that when I was a kid. I was itching to pop that bad boy back in again and see if it was as hard as I remember, It definitely is, and I'm hoping to one day beat it. Or, at the very least, get further than I did when I was a kid. Looking at this game as an adult, I really think there's something special here, so we'll see what happens with the game and how it relates to the podcast. I've also been playing NARC on the Nintendo as well. It's a side-scrolling run-and-gun shooter that I remember playing once or twice when I was a kid, but I don't recall much else specific about it. It is a pretty fun experience, but almost a bit basic. I don't tend to come across much coverage on NARC when I check retro sites online, so I was thinking of doing an episode on this game just to put some content out there. I'm not exactly sure when that will be, though. I don't want to do more than two NES games in a row for the show, so I'll have to look into something different for next week. Curtis from our Facebook group mentioned Super Smash TV to me sometime last week, so I've been considering checking that one out too. It's a shooter where you take control of a contestant on a TV show, and you have to get more prizes and cash than the other guy. To do that, you have to shoot up hordes of mindless beasts and robots. It certainly sounds fun, so we'll have to see if I can make a compelling enough show out of that one. If there's any games out there that you'd like me to cover, shoot me a message or drop me a comment on our social media. I'm going to start keeping a list of games people want me to cover off to the side. Now that does not guarantee that I'll give these games podcast episodes, but I'll certainly take a solid look at them. And I'll absolutely give you a shout-out if I do pick your game, though. Oh, and before I forget to mention, I'm slowly adding previous podcast episodes to our YouTube channel. By the time this goes live, episodes 1 through 3 should be live for your viewing-slash-listening pleasure. I'll be adding more podcast episodes from the archive as time goes on, and I'd eventually like to add other things like in-depth video game reviews and maybe some Let's Plays. It's nothing I have time for right now, but if you want, head on over to YouTube and subscribe to the channel. This way you'll be the first to know when I do add new content. You can find us over there by searching The Retro Wildlands. Alright, and with that, I think that is enough rambling from me this episode. It's time to get to the reason that you're all here. It's time to talk about Castlevania 3, Dracula's Curse for the Nintendo Entertainment System. The Super Garbage Day podcast wrote into the show over on our Instagram page and said, I remember being extremely hyped for this game when I was a kid. I recall obsessively rereading the Nintendo Power issue that had the printed walkthrough. Man, that was a great Christmas day. Oh, yeah, not only did I share some of the same awesome Christmas mornings like you did, I did the exact same thing with Nintendo Power, my friend. I would read about a game over and over again and hopefully one day get my hands on it. And if I was fortunate enough to, Man, that is a feeling that you do not forget, you know? But anyway, thank you very much for writing into the show, Super Garbage Day podcast. You know, looking at you on Instagram, you look kind of fun. I think I need to check you guys out. While I never played Castlevania 3 when I was younger, I can see why you, and I assume countless others, were so excited for this game. Released on September 1st, 1990 here in North America, Castlevania III is a prequel to the original Castlevania taking place 100 years before the birth of Simon Belmont, the protagonist from the first game. Count Dracula is terrorizing all of Europe with an army of monsters and undead creatures. Many citizens and townspeople all across Europe tried to stand up against Dracula, but were ultimately defeated and scattered. Soon, the Belmont clan was called upon to defeat this evil threat to mankind. Trevor Belmont, the wielder of the Vampire Killer Whip, answers the call. But Trevor won't have to go after Dracula alone. As he journeys into the Deadlands, he may come across allies who will join him in his battle. But whether or not Trevor finds these allies or even takes them with him is completely up to you. So let's gear up, Wildlanders. Grab a couple bottles of holy water, your trusty whip, and a plate of wall chicken. It's time for us to take the fight to the enemy and bring back peace to the people. The fighting will be hard and the monsters fierce, but as long as we trust our skills and remain true to the mission, we shall prevail. We just have to be extra careful around stairs. Returning listeners to the show may know this, and I've probably mentioned this in the intro, but when I covered the original Castlevania on the Nintendo back on Episode 5 of the show, it was my very first Castlevania game. I really was experiencing the series for the first time, and Castlevania was a great start to a journey I was really excited to take. You can check out that episode if you want more of the juicy details, but spoiler alert, I really enjoyed that game, even if it was tough as nails. The next question I had when it was all over was, where do I go from here? I considered Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest, of course. From what I've read, this game changes up the gameplay formula by a considerable amount. Some of the basics were still intact, but it was largely a new experience. Was it a good one, though? That was pretty debatable from what I saw. Good ideas, poor execution was probably the most common message I took away from the whirlpool that is the internet. It was even compared to Zelda 2, The Adventure of Link. The more I read and saw online, the less excited I was to take the leap with this game. But then people started to tell me that I should skip it for now and jump into Castlevania 3.
1: It's so good, some would say. There's so much more gameplay, others would chirp. It is a must-play. Well, with praise like that, how could I
0: ignore it? So I decided to take the plunge. Truth be told, though, I didn't do much initial research on the game before playing it for the first time, so my very first play session, I was flying pretty blind. At first, the game started out very much like the original Castlevania. I had my trusty demon-ass-beating whip, some platforms to traverse, sub-weapons I already knew, and some familiar-looking enemies to dispatch. It was actually a little underwhelming at first, but I was still having a good time. And then I came across the first Path of Fate. From the looks of it, I was able to choose which direction I wanted to go. That was awesome. I would be able to take multiple paths and play through the game multiple times, experiencing different stages. That was pretty cool. Okay, I'm liking this so far. And then, after a fierce boss battle, I was greeted by a spirit that emerged from a stone statue. After exchanging some dialogue, I was given the option to have the spirit come along and fight with me. Holy shit, I was able to recruit a companion! Awesome! There was so much new to this game already, and I was absolutely hooked. I couldn't wait to keep playing and try out these new game features. But was the game's newfound depth and replayability enough? Did Castlevania 3 still have a solid gameplay experience as a whole? In order to answer that question properly, it only makes sense for us to tear this game apart and see exactly what it is that we're working with. So what is this game? Castlevania 3: Dracula's Curse, is a side-scrolling platforming game where we take control of Trevor Belmont, a vampire hunter who is the forefather of Simon Belmont, the hero of the first and second Castlevania games. Castlevania 3 serves as a prequel to the original game and takes place in the year 1476, according to the gurus on the internet. When you start the game, you're actually met with a short text-based introduction that gives you the basic story setup. However, I've always loved the old instruction booklets that you get with older retro games, especially if they take the time to flesh out the story. So I wanted to take this next section right out of the instruction manual to really drive home the story setup. Or I'm just trying to save time by not writing out my own summary. I'll let you be the judge. Anyway.
1: The time is 100 years before Simon Belmont's birth. The moon burns red overhead and black clouds loom large on the horizon. All is still and quiet. Only the call of a distant crow stirs the cold night air. (sighs) Suddenly, thunder roars out of the Morbin Mountains and into the village of war a I think I pronounced that right? Anyway. Like the yell of an angry giant, the terrible sound shakes homes and shops as if they were sapling branches. But no one blinks an eye. The village is dead calm. For all the people have fled after receiving warnings from the great beyond that Count Dracula has assembled a mighty army of evil and they're poised to march up from the Valley of Graveyards to bury mankind in a tomb of terror. Unfortunately, there's no corner on Earth that won't be gobbled up by this bloodthirsty legion of swamp dragons, slasher skeletons, and forces of the undead. The last line of defense is you, Trevor Belmont, the forefather of Simon Belmont and the origin of the Belmont Warlord Chromosomes. (laughs) But your chances are slimmer than Jim. Yes, the instruction manual says this. Your chances are slimmer than Jim. In fact, the only real edge you have over this fang-sharpened freak... Is your power to transform into three different partner spirits Grant Dynasty, the ferocious ghost pirate, Sifa, the mystic warlord, and Alucard, Dracula's forgotten son? Each of these spirits will confront you as you fight through 17 possible levels of never-ending fright, including, but not limited to, the haunted ship of fools, the clock tower of untimely death, and curse castle. You must also possess the strength to wield the mighty battle-axe and mystic whip, which were given to you by the Poltergeist king. So go forth, young Trevor, into the cold black night, where death lurks around every corner and evil lingers in every stone. And remember, if your courage and cunning are less than magnificent, or you fail to choose the correct paths of fate, you will be banished to a world of the undead and zombies will rule until the end of time.
0: <laughs> the ha ha ha's at the end there weren't in the instruction manual, but I felt like they fit there perfectly. With this being my second title in the series, I have to say, the story is starting to grow on me just a little bit. It's pretty basic, but I love the concept. I've always been the type of person who likes horror movies, scary things, and Halloween is my favorite time of the year. Getting to play a game where we're taking on Dracula and his army of monsters will always sound exciting to me. I mean, have you seen the box art to this game? If you haven't, check it out online. The North American box art looks fucking sick. Trevor is in the foreground with his whip, and he's about to beat the shit out of a skeleton, and you have all sorts of stuff happening in the background. Sypha, the mystic, is shooting a fire spell at a dragon's face, Grant is climbing up an archway, and you can see Dracula's castle looming in the background. If I was a kid and I saw this box at a store, I would be all over trying to get my parents to buy this game for me. Everything about it just spells adventure. And at its core, that is exactly what this game is. As you play through the game, the story doesn't really get expanded upon. However, like I mentioned in my captivating story introduction, you will potentially come across some companion characters. When you meet them, there is a text dialogue exchange that offers up reasons for them being there in the game and why they want to join Trevor on his quest to defeat Dracula. We'll talk about Trevor's companions a little later when we talk about gameplay, but I really appreciated this little touch. In a game like this, there were no real opportunities to dive into character motivation and development, but even just the little snippet we got was awesome. Grant, for instance, was turned into a ghost by Dracula. Upon freeing him, he tells you that his family was killed by Dracula and seemingly wants revenge. Again, pretty basic, but I love the addition. Grant wasn't just a tool to be inserted into the player's toolkit. He has a legitimate reason for joining us, and I like that we got to know that. Now where this gets better, and another reason Castlevania 3 impressed me, was that the game has multiple endings. There are up to four, and each of them just depend on which companion you have with you when the game is over. Not having a companion with you gives you its own ending, too. This gives you a reason to play through the game a minimum of four times if you want to see each ending. A concept like this is nothing new for video games nowadays, but holy shit. If I had this game when I was younger and I knew I could get four different endings, I would not stop playing it. Seriously, this sort of replay value was unheard of, at least for me. I was pretty impressed when I found out that this was a game feature. So that's the story and its elements in a nutshell. The next thing I want to do is touch on the overall presentation of the game and some of the gameplay. In order to paint the scene, I say we slide this cartridge into our NES and boot the game up. God damn it, where did I put that game? It's around here somewhere. Dee Dee! Dee Dee! Go get me Castlevania 3 boy! Ah, that's a good boy. Alright, hand, hand it over. God damn it, I said hand it over! Dot. Ah, thank you, boy. Ah. Alright, got a couple teeth marks on the cartridge, but that's okay. Every ding and dent tells a story, right? Anyway, let's slide this one in and boot it up. Alright, when we turn the game on, we're met with the title screen. Almost right away, we're introduced to an opening text crawl that gives us the story setup. I think what I liked about this part was not just the story setup, but I love the music, which you should be hearing right now, and I love that some of the sprite work is mixed in with the text. We're shown a picture of the Vampire Killer Whip, which looks absolutely amazing in all of its 8-bit glory. Further down, we can see Trevor Belmont, the main character, looking swole with his Demon Slayer chiseled chin. And finally, we see a picture of Trevor standing on the edge of a cliff looking towards, I assume, Dracula's castle. We're shown one more detailed shot of the castle itself before the prologue ends. And with that, we're back to the title screen. The stage is set, and we are off. When the game starts, we're asked to enter our name. There's more than meets the eye, but you can enter any name you want up to eight characters, I believe. Any regular name has no impact on gameplay, and if you do manage to beat the game, you'll see your name listed in the end credits, which is kind of neat. There's other names you can put here that will grant you benefits, like starting the game with a specific companion, but I think the most well-known name players can use here is Help Me. If you enter that as your name, you'll have 10 lives per continue instead of 3. Basically, it's an extra life code. Do not be afraid to use this code, especially if you're new to this game or you just want to practice without having to start stages over from scratch when you lose all of your lives. As far as what other names you can put in here and what benefits you can garner from them, I'll leave those for you to discover. In the age of the internet, nothing is inaccessible to us. After we decide on our name, our journey begins. We're introduced to Trevor who appears to be praying at an altar. After a moment he stands up and whips himself around. He casts his cape aside and he looks right at us, almost as if he's about to say, Let's fucking slay some demons, player. Right away we're thrown right into the first stage. As the stage opens, we're met with some pretty familiar graphics if you've played the first game. While Trevor himself looks slightly more detailed than Simon does, he still looks about the same overall. Backgrounds here are done up pretty well, but they're a bit basic in my opinion. In this section of the game, we're outdoors surrounded by abandoned grey buildings that have some green overgrowth showing in some spots, adding a hint of color. The sky is a dark blue, and we can see more buildings blacked out in the distance. Moving Trevor is as simple as moving the directional button to the right or left, and off we go. The first thing we come across is a cauldron of sorts that we can break open with our whip. Pressing the B button will have Trevor rear back and thrust his whip forward. This will be our primary way to dish out holy retribution on our undead foes, but we can also use it to break open objects to find items inside so we go ahead and do that here. We rear back and break open the cauldron. Once we do that, out falls our first power-up, the Mystic Whip Power-Up. When we pick it up, we find that we've increased the power of our whip and it evolves into a chain whip. If we manage to obtain a third one, we'll even increase the overall length of our whip, which is always a bonus. Moving right along, we find a candelabra attached to the wall of one of the buildings. It's up kinda high, so we're gonna have to jump and whip it for the prize inside. We press the A button to jump and crack that candelabra open for the prize inside. Out falls our first sub weapon, the dagger. Just like the first Castlevania, you can carry one sub weapon with you at a time. To use it, All you need to do is press up on the directional pad and then the B button. In the case of the dagger, Trevor will throw it out in front of him and it will deal light damage to whatever enemy it hits. It's not the best sub-weapon in the game, but having the dagger is certainly better than nothing. We take it with us. I'm not going to go into detail this time regarding the game's many sub-weapons. All the weapons you find are in the original Castlevania, and I already broke them down in Episode 5 of the show, so if you want to hear me break those down, check that episode out. Now, there are a couple items unique to your mystic companion Sypha, but we'll get to those later. Moving on, we come across another cauldron that needs breaking. Inside this one we find a large heart. Now, the one little thing that has always bugged me about Castlevania so far is that these hearts are not used to fill your health. Hearts are actually treated like ammo for your subweapons. When you use a subweapon, you'll lose a heart. If you have no hearts, you can't use your subweapon. The concept behind having ammo to use your weapons isn't what bugs me, it's the fact that they make your ammunition into the form of a heart at all. Hearts to me signify health whenever I think of them, so this change has always been jarring for me whenever I play these games. Does that bother any of you listening? Anyway, we pick up the heart and we add it to our toll. Now right by this cauldron, we come across our very first enemy. Lucky for us, this enemy doesn't pose us a threat right now, but we should probably take a moment and figure out how to deal with it. The enemy in question here is a set of stairs. Yes, these putrid, wretched things make a return in Castlevania 3, and they are just as dangerous, if not more so, than the original game. But Nomad! You may be saying to your car speakers, how can a set of stairs be so dangerous? Well dear listener, we'll get there in due time, believe me. All you need to know is that these stairs aren't the kind that you can just walk up or jump on and expect Trevor to automatically latch onto. At the base of the stairs, you hold up on the directional pad to get Trevor to attach to them so you can climb up, or you press down to have him descend a set of stairs going down. It sounds easy, but just you wait. So we climb the stairs to a higher platform and take out another candelabra. And collect the large heart inside for more sub-weapon uses. We descend the stairs on the other side and we push on. Before we exit the area though, we come across one more cauldron with a mystic whip power-up in it, and we upgrade our whip to a longer length. Perfect. At this point, we're pretty well stocked with items and weapons, and it's time to face some demons. We approach the end of the area, and we are met with a large wooden door. We open it, and proceed onto the other side. In the next area, there are two levels, and on each of them are two human-sized skeletons that shamble towards us. They pose little threats, and we take the one on the ground level out first with our whip. We ascend the stairs to the second level and take out his friend. Once the area is clear, we keep moving upwards into the next area. So far, so good. In the next area, we find ourselves ascending a tower. This section here is pretty gorgeous, not gonna lie. There are stained glass windows on the back wall, and the detail is very impressive on the 8-bit system. While not every section of the game has this much detail, I was pretty impressed whenever I did see something this intricate. Now while this area might look breathtaking, it is actually quite dangerous. Not only are there stairs all over the place, there are gaps in the floor that we need to jump over and there's enemies hiding in plain sight that mean to do us harm. The gaps aren't that hard to jump over, but once you jump a gap, you'll notice something very important about Trevor. A trait that he'll one day pass along to Simon. When you jump in this game, it feels. I don't know, heavy, for lack of a better word. When you start a jump, you can't change directions while you're in midair, and I'm pretty sure you can't control the height of your jump either, if I remember right. So what that means is, if you jump too early or too late, or don't line up a platform just right, you can't course-correct yourself, so you may as well kiss your ass goodbye if you miss a ledge and fall into a pit. It is certainly not the worst thing, but it certainly takes some getting used to. After about the fifth time I died due to bad jump timing, I about learned my lesson. Now the enemies that are hiding in plain sight in this section are Vampire Bats, and they're clung to the walls. Because of the way they're sitting on the walls, you can completely miss them if you're not paying attention. Once you get close to them, they start flying towards you. Now, Unless you know that they're already there, chances are you won't see them until they start flying towards you. You'll only have a few seconds to react, and they don't fly towards you in a straight line. They'll come at you in what I like to call a wave pattern. They'll dip up, and then they'll dip down, and then they'll dip up, and then down again. It's very hard to line up your whip if you don't time it just right. If the bat hits you, you'll obviously take damage, but what is worse, the horrific knockback from the first game makes a return in Castlevania 3. What that means is, when your character is hit by an enemy, they'll be flung backwards quite a ways. And since you're climbing upwards in this particular area, and there are plenty of gaps in the floor, you stand a pretty good chance of being pushed off the edge of the level. And if that happens, well… You lose a life. So that is the gameplay in a nutshell. At this point, there really isn't much more to talk about in terms of gameplay. But when it comes to Castlevania 3, what new elements does it bring to the table? We already know about the addition of companions, but there's a decent amount more to be had here. Let's explore some of those things, shall we? So going back to our platforming experience earlier, you know, before the bat tossed us off a cliff like a ragdoll, Castlevania 3 has more involved platforming than the original game. At least, it felt that way to me. There's certain gaps in the floor that require a lot more precision timing on your part to make sure you cross, and there's the addition of some new elements, too. In a couple stages, there's the addition of elevator-type platforms that are moving up and down that you'll have to navigate over. Not an uncommon thing when it comes to platforming games in general, but this was new to the Castlevania series. At least, I don't remember moving platforms in the first game. I do have the memory of Goldfish, after all. But beyond that, there's also platforms that you'll need to traverse that are sort of like seesaws. There'll be a flat platform that's anchored in the middle and they'll pivot based on where your character is standing, as if your character's weight is being taken into account. I never really thought I'd have to describe a seesaw to another human being before, so I hope that makes sense. And again, this isn't something that's all that uncommon in platformers now, but this was something that was new to Castlevania. It really created some interesting platforming sections. And to be completely honest, I rather enjoyed these new additions. It changed the gameplay up a bit and put a little bit more emphasis on environmental traversal and required you as the player to change up your priorities on the fly. It feels pretty good navigating over a large gap in the floor by hopping over seesaw platforms and the like. Oh, and in a couple spots, there will be swinging platforms that you'll need to find a way to use in order to advance. Think of these as round circles swinging back and forth, kind of like a pendulum. I know there's a couple that you have to navigate over on your way to the final battle with Dracula, and those are really fun, especially when bats are flying at you. If you can't tell by the tone of my voice, that is pure sarcasm. You are going to need steady hands and nerves of steel to see that one through to the end. Oh, and another thing. Castlevania 3 introduces a couple auto-scrolling sections. This means that the environment is actually moving in one direction while the player is not. Can't remember what stage it is, but there's one area where you would be climbing upwards towards the top of the screen, and then all of a sudden, with a thud, the screen starts moving up. If you're caught at the bottom of the screen, you will die. And while this is yet another thing I feel platformers throw in now and again, it actually broke the immersion for me just a little bit. I mean, how exactly is it that I die when the bottom of the screen catches up to me? There's no on-screen threat like lava or anything like that, but... I don't know, it was just a weird addition to me. But still, it was a fun challenge to try and surpass, I will say that. And before we move on, we have to address the constant threat to your survival in this game. The stairs. Veterans of the original Castlevania already know how dangerous a set of stairs can be, but in Castlevania 3. Someone, somewhere, thought it would be the best idea to add even more stairs to this game, and it is so frickin' irritating. So why are the stairs such a pain in the ass? Well first, to have your character lock themselves onto a set of stairs, you have to press up or down on the directional pad, depending on the direction that they're going in order to climb or descend them. You can't just walk over to them and expect yourself to traverse them. Second, when you're on stairs, you can attack, but you do lose the ability to jump, so you are pretty immobile. Third, you have to press up and the attack button to use a subweapon. but if you are on or near a set of stairs going up and you try to do this, your character will start to climb the stairs 100% of the time and not use the subweapon that you want to use. And lastly, if you take damage while on a set of stairs, your character will be knocked back and fall through the set of stairs that you were just on. Yes, your character won't attach themselves to the set of stairs that you were just on. You will fall right through. So that being said, you can kiss your ass goodbye if there was nothing underneath you to catch you. Which reminds me, there are at least two instances that I can remember offhand, where you're climbing very long sets of stairs, and on either end of the screen, there'll be these dragon skull statues spitting fireballs at you. They're not close enough to attack them normally, so you have to walk up these sets of stairs, which you do very slowly, by the way, and you have to avoid multiple projectiles coming at you. One scratch, and you'll be flung backwards and off the screen to your untimely death. Never mind if you have a full health bar or not, you are dead. Probably goes without saying this, but it is very, very frustrating. Anytime I would see a set of stairs, I knew shit was going to hit the fan. I already hate climbing stairs in my own home, let alone this game. That's why stairs will be your biggest enemy in this game. I'm just hoping that the next entry into the series will see this problem fixed. I mean, it has to be fixed. Right? Please someone tell me that this problem gets fixed. (sighs) That little rant reminded me of another platforming addition that adds difficulty to the game. Breakaway floors. There'll be some floors that when you stand on them, they'll start to break underneath your feet. You'll see little cracks forming, and when the entire block is covered in cracks, it falls away and sends you downwards if you're unlucky enough to still be standing on them. Again, another thing I'm sure is very present and accounted for in platforms nowadays, but another new addition here. These floors created a sense of urgency and really required you to keep moving in order to stay safe. You could jump up and down on the same block and the floor wouldn't break away quite as fast, but you still needed to keep moving. Even though it added to the difficulty, I thought it was a good challenge. Except for that one part. Again, I can't remember the exact stage for my example here, but there is a point where you have to travel along a long stretch of these breakaway floors, and below them are spikes that will kill you if you fall on them. Okay, no big deal, we just gotta keep moving. Problem is, every now and then, a bat will fly on screen to mess things up, but even then, just gotta keep moving. But then, as you get to the left side of the screen, and to your salvation, the worst-case scenario happens. Right in front of the door, leading out of the area, sits a dragon skull statue thing that's shooting fireballs at you. These statues take at least five, six, maybe seven hits to destroy, and while you're attacking with your main weapon, you have to stand still. And while you're standing still, the ground is crumbling underneath you. Getting past this part was an exercise in frustration. Staying mobile enough to keep the blocks from crumbling, dodging fireballs and bats, trying to get hits on the statue… I mean, I pride myself on not raging. But after dying in this area multiple times, I may have squeezed my controller just a little too tight at times. Ultimately, I made it a point to get to this section with as much health as I could, and I actually just jumped over the statue and to the other side. Now, to be clear, you you can't jump high enough to actually vault over the statue cleanly, but when I got hit, I used that moment of invincibility that you get right after being hit to squeeze by the statue. Now, I'm sure there's a legitimate way to pass this section, but I am not skilled or smart enough to figure it out. Fuck that section. Hopefully someone listening to this has played that section before and understands how I feel in this moment. Okay, those were some of the more frustrating additions to the game. Now, other than that, there are a decent variety of new enemies to fight in this installment, along with some enemies from the original game. There's even a returning boss from the first game that makes an appearance for old time's sake. I'm not going to get as involved with talking about the different enemies like I did in the original Castlevania episode that we did, but I did want to shout out the return of an old nemesis. That's right, the Humper Monkeys from the original game are back in all of their randomized jumping glory. For those of you that don't know, these are those little hunchback enemies that I think are actually called Fleemen. But just look at these bastards. I'm calling them Humper Monkeys, and maybe one day that name'll stick. I was pretty happy to see them return, though, if for no other reason, just so I could chuck my boomerang cross into their stupid Humper Monkey faces. Those goddamn assholes. Okay, okay, enough with the negative stuff. Let's see if we can end the show this time focused on the positives for once. So, Without a doubt, one of the best new additions to Castlevania 3 are the Paths of Fate. As you make your way through the game, you'll be given two paths that you can go down, and you have to choose which direction you want to go. This means that when playing the game through, you won't be able to see all the stages, and you'll have to replay the game multiple times to truly see it all. When I went in blind and played this game for the first time and I got to the very first Path of Fate, I legitimately smiled. I've always been a fan of branching pathways in video games just because of the replay value that it adds. And to see this in an NES game I thought was pretty awesome. Now, the Paths of Fate don't just exist for you to take different paths. Depending on which path you take, it'll dictate what companions you come across that you can potentially take with you on your journey, or you can miss them completely depending on what you do. Now this right here, the addition of a companion, is by far the best feature in this entire game, hands down. Each companion plays differently and offers new ways to surpass the challenges of the game. Really, I'd go so far as to say the experience playing as these companions is so different from Trevor's, it's like playing a brand new game altogether. When I played the game for the first time, I took a path that eventually led me to meeting up with Sypha, the mystic warrior. Again, I was going in blind, so when I was given the choice to bring them with me or leave them behind, I smiled again. I mean, how awesome is this going to be? So, how does this new companion system work? Let's dissect it a little bit and see what the guts of this bad boy looks like. At the end of certain stages, which you may or may not play through depending on the paths you take, you'll be greeted by a potential companion. When I encountered Sypha, it was after I defeated a boss called the Cyclops. Sypha was trapped in a statue, and when freed, they offered to come along with me on my journey. Simple as that, I said yes and we were together for the rest of the game. You can come across Grant or Alucard in the same fashion. There is a kicker though, you can only take one companion with you at a time, so if you have someone with you and you come across somebody else, you'll need to make a choice and decide who comes with you, so bear that in mind. Now how does this translate to the gameplay experience itself? Fairly seamlessly actually. When you have a companion with you, you can play as that companion by pressing the select button. A quick animation plays and Trevor will disappear and be replaced by your companion. For those of you that have played Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles on the NES, this is pretty much the same concept as pressing the start button and selecting a different turtle and picking up right there with somebody else. Companion characters in Castlevania 3 have their own abilities, strengths, and weaknesses. You can play as them throughout entire levels, or you can just play as them in short bursts, depending on the situation. Your health bar is shared between the both of you, as well as your total heart count. However, each character will carry their own sub-weapon, so that can come in handy. Not all companions can use the same sub-weapons that Trevor uses, though and one companion in particular has their own sub-weapons that appear. So with that said, let's meet our potential companions and see what it is each of them brings to the table. We'll start off with Sypha since this is who my first companion was. Cyfa is a mystic warlord and their strength comes from the sub-weapons made available only to them. Basically this is a magic-focused character. Sipha's main attack is with a staff that, while pretty weak, can hit enemies in quick succession. The range is pretty short though, so you have to keep that in mind. Sypha is also pretty frail and will take more damage than Trevor. But the magic spells you find are extremely powerful. Sipha's spells act like sub-weapons and are activated in the same way. The first one is a flame spell. Pretty powerful, it'll have a flame shoot out in front of Sypha, frying almost anything in its path. It's great for boss encounters, or when you don't want enemies to get really close to you. Next, and probably my favorite, is the Frozen Crystal spell. This spell will shoot out tiny little ice balls all around you, and any enemy or projectile they touch will be instantly turned to ice. All you need to do at that point is attack them with your staff and they'll instantly shatter. This is a fantastic tactic to take out harder enemies or ones that take multiple hits to kill. And as an added bonus, frozen enemies can be used as platforms to stand on. I didn't use frozen enemies as platforms very much myself, but it was a nice touch. The last spell available to Sypha is the Goodness Gracious Great Balls of Lightning Spell. And yes, it is actually called that, just go look at the instruction manual. I never personally found this spell when I played through the game, so I can't speak to exactly what it does, but it sounds pretty badass. I also never used Sypha as a character too terribly much, but whenever I got a hold of that freeze spell, I felt like it just made the game so much easier for me. Oh, and another thing about Sypha, they jump for shit, so I never played as them when I needed to do any precise platforming. Grant is next on our list, and I played a bit as him on a second playthrough of the game. This guy is an absolute blast to play as. He is very quick and very nimble. His basic attack is a dagger with some pretty short range, but where Grant excels is with platforming. Grant has two exceptional abilities when it comes to platforming. First, he can change his trajectory when he jumps, which is a first for the series up to this point. This makes precision platforming so much easier, especially if you time a jump wrong and need to course correct yourself. The next thing that Grant can do is cling to walls. And not only can he cling to walls, he can also crawl up them and he can attach himself to the ceiling. It's a complete game-changing mechanic. And if that weren't enough, you can use a sub-weapon while you're clinging to the wall or ceiling. And it gets better. Not only can Grant get to areas that are normally inaccessible, he can usually avoid most enemies using this skill altogether. Once I got him as an ally, I would complete entire stages with just him for the experience of doing it. It was really fun to play as him because he was so vastly different than Trevor. Now, Grant does come with some caveats though. First, he is a frail guy and takes a lot more damage than Trevor does. And second, his main attack is very short range and it's pretty weak as well, so, head on combat is not Grant's strong suit. But even with those weaknesses, Grant is a formidable ally in the fight against evil. Our last companion is Alucard, Dracula's Forgotten Son. At the time of recording this episode, I have not gone back and played as Alucard so I can't give you any first-hand experience, but from what I've read about him and seen online, he is a beast of a character. One thing you'll notice right away is that he is a full head taller than Trevor, and he's pretty menacing. I love his character design in the game. Alucard attacks using the Ball of Destruction. Basically, Alucard's main attack is a ranged attack where he'll fling a red ball out in front of him. You can upgrade his main attack like you would upgrade Trevor's Whip by collecting the Whip power up. This increases the balls from 1 to 2, and then from 2 to 3. Having a fully upgraded main attack is almost like having the spread gun from Contra, but this attack is made with pure evil energy. Alucard is pretty beefy too, and he does not take increased damage like Sypha and Grant do. One drawback he does have is that he's only able to equip one sub-weapon, and that sub-weapon is the stopwatch. The stopwatch will stop time, effectively freezing everything on screen enemies, projectiles, that kind of thing. It can be useful in its own right, but I never use the stopwatch too terribly much. And if I remember right, it causes you to use multiple hearts instead of just one per use, so it can sap your heart reserves pretty quickly. Now, where Alucard really shines is in his ability to turn into a bat and fly around the screen. While you're in bat form, you'll slowly lose hearts, but being a bat allows Alucard increased mobility and the ability to get to some inaccessible places. You know, now that I think about it, I wonder if I could have used him to fly over that stupid-ass statue at the end of that area with the breakable floors. I need to try that one day. But anyway, I'll absolutely be playing this game again and seeing if I can recruit Alucard and see how he plays. So with that, I think that pretty much covers all the new additions to the game. I was extremely impressed with everything new on offer here. Like I said, the branching path and multiple companion characters offer some great replay value and multiple ways to play, and that's something most gamers crave. These things alone easily make Castlevania 3 the best Castlevania game on the original Nintendo. It's not even a close competition at that point. Initially, I was surprised that so many people told me that this game was a must-play, but now that I've played it, I totally get it. I'm a true believer now, and I will absolutely be spouting Castlevania 3’s praises from many a rooftop, my friends. But as we start to wind this episode down, there's one thing I need to come clean about. I have not beaten this game. While Castlevania 3 is easily the best of the initial three games, it is, without a doubt, the hardest and most brutal game out of all of them. Now, returning listeners should know this about me, I hope, but I do not claim to be an excellent gamer. I am average most of the time, and above average in some specific cases. But this game tested me especially in those sections where a single hit would kill me because they would chuck me off the side of a set of stairs that I was on. And while you can absolutely get good at this game with practice and commitment, I argue that it just doesn't matter most of the time. Enemies will be appearing frequently on screen, and their movements can be very erratic. Remember the Medusa heads from the first game? You know, the floating heads that bob up and down so bad that you can hardly get a beat on them? They're in this game. They'll show up along with other enemies on screen, and they absolutely love to show up when precision platforming is needed and you have no room for error. And it's not just the Medusa heads. Bats fly around erratically, sea creatures jump in and out from the water with little to no discernible pattern, and let's not forget the goddamn Humper Monkeys! Castlevania 3 does not fuck around, it plays for keeps. Okay, I'm sorry, I lied. We're going to end this episode with a negative rant, but I, I have to get this off my chest. The final fight with Dracula. Now, the final fight in any game should be challenging in my opinion, but this fight, this fight is borderline unfair. There are actually three stages to this fight. Three, one, two, three. In the first stage, Dracula likes to erect these two pillars of fire and trap your character in between them, then he'll send a pillar of fire right through the middle of where your character is standing. You have to hope and pray he makes a gap wide enough where you can dodge the incoming blast. More often than not, though, you're gonna take some damage. If you manage to defeat this form of Dracula, he turns into this floating head creature thing that floats around randomly across the screen, dropping blood underneath him that will damage you. It's another erratic monster with a very hard to discern pattern. But then, if you're able to get past that, Dracula's final form is a huge monster that only takes damage if you manage to hit him in the face area. You can't jump high enough to damage him, so you have to rely on these floating platforms that take you up to striking level. Not only is Dracula attacking you with a laser beam of sorts while you're trying to do this, the platforms you have to use are very small and they move agonizingly slow. And, (laughs) believe it or not, these things I just mentioned aren't even the worst parts of the whole thing. You don't recover any health in between each battle, so you better hope that you come into the fight with a full bar of health and you don't take a ton of damage as you're going through each of these stages. But the worst thing, by far, is that if you die, and I guarantee you will die often, you will be sent back a ways and have to fight through part of the level again just to get back to Dracula. And the monsters leading up to the fight aren't going to feel sorry for you. They're going to be out to skin your ass alive, so you better have your A-game on at all times to make sure you have enough health to fight Dracula when you do get back to him! Gah, this is just so... frustrating. But I get it. I get that old games are like this, and they're typically unforgiving, but this was just downright dirty. So because of that, I have not completed this game. Does the difficulty spike at the end of the game mean that it's bad or anything? No, of course not. I'm sure it's beatable if you practice and put your time in, but god damn, old retro games are starting to give me more gray hairs than what I started with. But anyway, when you wrap it all up, I can confidently say that if you like platforming games, Castlevania as a series, or you just want to play good games in general, Castlevania 3 is a must-play. I absolutely understand what all the hubbub was about now, and I am very glad that I finally gave this game a go. There is no doubt in my mind that I'll be coming back to this one again in the near future. Even if I didn't beat the game, and maybe I don't complete the game ever, I had and will continue to have a fantastic time playing this game. It is genuinely fun, and that says a lot about it. When it comes down to it, now that I think about it, I don't think it necessarily matters if you've beaten a game or not. All that really matters is the time that you spent with it. I had a lot of fun with Castlevania 3, and I really appreciate all the innovations that the developers put into this game. From the deeper story elements to the branching paths, the expanded platforming areas, enemy varieties, and the companion system. For a video game that's over 30 years old, it holds itself up against some of today's greatest. And I will die on that hill. But my journey with Castlevania 3 is far from over. I vow to one day beat this game. It may not be today, may not be tomorrow, but Dracula, you better watch your ass. One of these days, I'm going to take you down. You will rue the day you decided to cross me, and when that day comes, I will show you what your undead insides look like, asshole. Believe that. That's another one in the books, my friends. This has been episode 25 of the Retro Wildlands, Castlevania 3: Dracula's Curse, for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Thank you very much for joining us on our Wildlands expedition today, my friends. I really enjoyed having you here. If you like the show and want to show it and myself some support, please consider leaving us a good review on your podcasting platform if you're able to do so. You can also leave us a review on our Facebook page. Not sure what the ones on Facebook will do, but I know the others will help circulate the podcast around and help expose it to more people, so if you have the time, that would be extremely helpful. Another way you can support the show is by spreading the word about the Retro Wildlands to your friends or family. Better yet, next time you're out having your hair cut, don't sit there in silence while your barber is fixing up that mop you call hair. Talk to them about the Retro Wildlands. It's better than sitting in complete silence, and much better than just bullshitting about the weather. So give it a whirl next time you get your ears lowered. When I first started my playthrough of Castlevania 3, I just assumed this series went back to its roots, and I was going to get another Castlevania experience just like the first game. I was pleasantly surprised when I kept uncovering layer after layer of new ideas and content. With two Castlevania games underneath my belt now, I have pretty high hopes for where the rest of the series is going to go next. Playing the Castlevania games in order when it comes to the sprawling story isn't realistic for me due to the sheer amount of games out there and how many game consoles they cover, but I have to assume the next step would be to play Castlevania IV, but I'm not even really sure about that. If you, dear listener, are at all savvy with the Castlevania games, I would love some guidance. Feel free to let me know where you think I should go next on my Castlevania journey over on our social media pages. You can find the Retro Wildlands over on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram if you search at Retro Wildlands. We're also slowly spanning out words onto YouTube. You're more than welcome to check us out on any of these platforms if you want to interact with the show at all. Posting a comment on one of our posts or sending me a direct message are the best ways to get a hold of me directly. So if anyone wants to tell me where I need to go next when it comes to the Castlevania games, leave me any feedback on the show, or you just want to bullshit with me about games or whatever else, that's how you can do it. And don't forget, over the weekends when I announce what game is coming up next, I'll put a call out for questions or comments if anyone wants to have me read them and respond to them in that show's intro. I wanted to give anyone who wants to a way to partake in our expedition a little bit more directly, and give the ability to sound off if that's something that interests you. So be sure to follow us over there and check us out. So, what's coming up next week? Right now, the only plan I really have is that I want to stay away from doing a third Nintendo Entertainment System game in a row. But the problem is, I don't have another game on my radar at the time of me recording this. Now, I have plenty of games to play, it's just a matter of settling on one. Super Smash TV was one that was suggested to me, so at least that one is on my radar, and I was thinking about diving back into Devil May Cry last week, but I never did jump back into that, but maybe it's time for that one, I'm not sure. Or maybe I'll come across something completely different that will take us all by surprise. That is the wonder and beauty of the Wildlands, my friends. You never know what it is you're going to find until you head out into the gaming wilderness. We'll just have to join up again and see what happens. I'm looking forward to meeting up with you again next week when we all set off for more gaming adventures. Until then, my friends, my name is Nomad and you can find me roaming the Retro Wildlands.